X-Rated Movies. I'm one half your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. Are you? Where's my wallet? <laughs> Can I see some ID, sir? Uh, I hope you accept this United States passport. Mm, you're not even looking at the camera. They tell you not to. Weird. I, I guess I accept that. Okay, you're Matt Fisher. That's fine. And who are you? Oh, I'm Ryan Whedon. Uh, and do you have any proof of this? Uh, Where are your papers? I, you know, I have one of those expired IDs, so here's just a piece of paper. Oh, not That's, good enough. Um, well, I have the uh, old one uh, over here. I will have to, de- <laughs> I'll have to deport you back to your motherland, which, judging from your shock of red hair, will be Scotland. <laughs> ah, that accept me. My... My brethren will take me in. I don't know what that was. That's not even close. Uh, anyway, this is not an ID checking podcast. Uh, I'm sorry if that's what you tuned in for. This is a movie podcast <laughs> by two guys who used to date. No, they don't. Correct. Welcome. So how are you? I'm pretty good. Can you tell that I've got like a glow about me? Like something's changed? I just assumed that it was the film from the smog here in <laughs> Seattle. Yeah, the, the apocalypse has descended on us. And today it's particularly bad it's bad uh i couldn't even see west seattle from the jose rizal bridge which if you live here you know that means it's bad uh no it's not that though it's not that i i spent the weekend in portland for a friend's bachelor party and we went to some strip clubs silverado we went to silverado i got my first lap dance this week how was it it was lots of fun yeah yeah i got two more <laughs> I've been there once before, and I had a blast. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, it's not at all like the strip clubs in movies or television, where it's like, you know, creepy gentlemen smoking cigars while, like, women who clearly hate their lives are <laughs> slowly peeling off layers of clothes. No, these guys were loving it. They were having a blast. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah, everyone was staring. I had to get over that. Like, at first, I was kind of like, should I be looking? I don't, I don't know if I should be watching, but that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and then once I got a few drinks to me, I was like, I'm going to see if that one wants to give me a dance. and uh, <laughs> See if he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I don't know what your schedule's like, but um, would you be able to fit me in tonight? If you're not doing anything in like five or ten minutes. Uh, yeah, and the last one even like... He he came to me and like I was he probably just t- could tell that I was drunk enough and was like this guy's throwing down for lap dances, <laughs> uh, and and he gave me a real s- screaming deal. So, <laughs> now how you love your screaming deals? Yeah, <laughs> I was wearing a bow tie, so I think it was like an easy mark. So I think that like once I got the paid for the first one, they're just like that guy's throwing down. <laughs> like Mr. Peanut over there, <laughs> <laughs> making it rain. Go hit up the bow tie guy. But yeah, it was lots of fun. I had a great time. We also went to uh, this thing called Darcel 15. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, it's the oldest performing drag queen in uh, the Guinness Book of World Records holder, oldest drag queen. She's 87. Woo! Yeah. Did a number where uh, came out in like a cowboy outfit with lots of rhinestones mm-hmm. and to rhinestone cowboy, of course, and uh, turned around and it was assless chaps. And then people would come up and put uh, money in the chaps. Ooh. Including Darcel's daughter and granddaughter, who happened to be there at the show we were at, which I thought was very strange. Which they're probably both older than us. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think drag queens get groupies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. You say it like you have knowledge on this. Yeah, it just seems like if you're uh, 87, you've got to amass a certain amount of them, right? Mm, I mean, do you think Dina Martina has groupies? Oh, Dina Martina has a cult. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, are they like, you know, throwing down for her? Or like, is it just a, a really rabid fan base? What's the difference between rabid fan base and groupies? Well, one is sleeping with you. Oh, hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that. Drag queens, chime in. Like, male rock stars, of course, always had groupies, but uh, I'd always heard that, like, female rock stars didn't quite get it as much, even the sexy ones. Really? Yeah. Like, Is that know, an intimidation factor, you think? Maybe, but it's like the Spice Girls never had, like, men hanging out by, like, the uh, uh, tour van, <laughs> like, waiting to get in. Just waiting to sign something. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, you know, they didn't have that going for them. Mm-hmm. I wonder why not. Maybe maybe ladies are just like, ew, you guys are gross. <laughs> I don't know. If I was a lady, I'd be 
down at the docks waiting for the sailors to port. So. I know, right? You got an alarm for uh, for Fleet Week. <laughs> well, what did uh, Boyd George say about Madonna? That Madonna's actually just a gay man stuck in a woman's body? Yeah, pretty much. 60 now. Just turned 60 years old. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> There's really no right way to talk about Madonna's age. Darcel was 27 <laughs> when uh, when she was born. <laughs> kind of puts things in perspective. <laughs> But I'm sorry, back to lap dances. I appreciate uh, Magic Mike XXL a lot more now. Oh. Yeah. So, so I think do we need to revisit that movie for the podcast? Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Uh, now I have an appreciation for how fun it is to just have like some uh, hot, sweaty guy like gyrating all over you. I didn't I didn't quite understand it until I had it exper- and the experience myself. Mm, so. mm. Travel broadens the mind. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to talk about today's movie, Matt? Yeah. Today's movie is the documentary from 2012 about rich people. Oh, you didn't think that one through at <laughs> the, all. <laughs> the Queen of Versailles. I was trying to work in a way to toss in, like, the word ostentatious gets tossed around <laughs> a lot these days, but you know, it rarely really applies to anybody. Uh, I would say that these people are ostentatious. Sure. Okay. Is that a nice way of saying clueless? <laughs> sure. And uh, they just like to show off their money. Yeah. When I think back of, in my years prior of, of, you know, different segments of my life, the only one that I ever actually kind of get nostalgic for, at least thus far, is 2004 to 2010. Okay. Not too nostalgic for my high school years or adolescence. Mm-hmm. And obviously after like, after 2010, it might be just a little too recent to be super nostalgic on. And so, like, this movie kind of takes place, like, because it starts in 2008. Mm-hmm. There's just, it's little things, like, fashion or, or just things that were in vogue or just the way that the things looked that, I don't know, kind of makes me feel a little nostalgic. Okay. Even for, like, the bad times, because it's like, this is just months before the financial crash. Yeah. Seeing stuff from that era kind of just sucks me right back to 2008. Is that a good thing? Yeah, 2008 was a good year. Okay. Did you have, like, uh, some of the things that they had? Did you have paintings of yourself uh, that were made in 2008? Or Well, I also had a 90,000 square foot piece of property. <laughs> uh, they just beat me to the punch. I see. And they were just louder about it in the media? <laughs> yeah, they just they were just showboating it. <laughs> Yours was a nice, quiet 90,000 square foot home. Yeah, I didn't make a stink about it when I had to sell it. This is, a, this is a movie about, um, fuck. Their names are... Siegel. Seagulls, yes. Uh, Jackie Siegel and Daniel Siegel. Daniel is the owner of a timeshare company, the largest timeshare company in the world, Westgate Properties. And, uh, yeah, it's just the movie just starts out, like, kind of following them around, being like, what's your life like? And um, they're pretty gross, honestly, at first, is my feeling. I mean, yeah, because they're so obscenely wealthy all i can think about is how like if i don't spend a single dime for the rest of my life i'll never be able to afford a 25 million dollar window i know or like glass ceiling i should say Uh, their first house was like 26,000 square feet and she's like it's a little small even though this house which is 26,000 square feet is so big we're bursting out of the seams and so he's like we had to build this bigger house and then the the filmmaker asks him, she's like, why did you do it? And he's like, so you ask me why I'm building the largest home in America? And my answer is because I could. Gross. <laughs> I mean, it's a little gross, but you also get the idea that they're not like mean or malicious. I don't know. Sometimes like when I think of obscenely wealthy people, I think of like of them naturally having a disdain for, for poor people uh-huh. or just for people who aren't obscenely wealthy even. And I never got that. Like, even when they were rich, they went to McDonald's. Yeah. They both come from humble beginnings, apparently. Yeah. Um, so I think that they know how to appreciate what they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, Dave? I think it's Dave or Daniel. I can't remember. 
the patriarch was super frugal. Like, he had the note over the thermostat. It was like, do not touch. Yeah. Which, I mean, God, if you're that obscenely wealthy, like... <laughs> Just let it go. Can you imagine what the like heating bill would be on a twenty six thousand square foot home? I guess in Florida you probably would. It have could to be do ten thousand dollars a month, and <laughs> it wouldn't be a drop in the bucket to him. Oh my god! I mean, I, I still appreciate like a frugalness, but at the same time, like at what point are you being frugal, and then like where does that cross over into you just being controlling? Because like when. <laughs> I mean, we're jumping ahead here, but like when his son like comes in and says like he loves him, yeah, he's like, well, if you love me, make sure the lights are turned off in rooms where they're not using them. Like, seriously, <laughs> that's what your mind goes to. There's a character arc that happens because you know it starts off as sort of like a lifestyles of the rich and famous thing, and you're at least my knee jerk reaction is like these fucking people. They're so gross and ostentatious, and I hate them. And her boobs are so big. Her boobs are enormous. Uh, but like the OTT, like out of control, big. The uh, the skincare treatment she's getting on her face is totally working. She does not look forty three. Uh-uh. I'll tell you that. And she talked about like a scar. Yeah. That like I couldn't even see. It's not even there. Yeah. yeah. She obviously had some work done to get rid of it, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, she was also a, a former Mrs. Uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. She was a model and then went on to be Mrs. Florida. Her story is pretty cool because she actually went to school and got a degree in computer engineering. Um, but one day she went in and her manager was like, I can't wait till I retire. And uh, she's like, you know, this isn't for me. And then she just like kind of grabbed life by the balls and went for it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they both have their stories uh, about how they got to where they are and like why they're proud of what they have and da 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 da. But then the financial crisis of 2008 happens and suddenly they just they go from billionaires to millionaires, I suppose, and life gets tough for them. It's a weird emotion mix for me because I do kind of feel bad for them a little bit, but there also is sort of this like schadenfreude thing going on where you're like, I kind of want to see them go through hell a little bit. Like they're gross, but they're not like, you don't feel animosity towards them necessarily. It's not like a acrimonious relationship that like you have with these characters. Right. They're not villains. They're not doing anything mean except when he says that he may have done something illegal to get George W. Bush elected. Uh, How were you personally responsible for the re-election of George I, I, I rather not say it because it may not necessarily have been legal. There was a lot of moving parts in Florida. I'm not going to give him credit for it, but uh, but if if we do give him credit for whatever he did, which he, he said was a secret, then it's a little, little ironic uh, uh, sort of... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? A little ironic justice, maybe? Because arguably it was George W. Bush that enabled the financial crisis. Right, yeah. So because he got this person elected by illegal means, he then turned around and he lost everything because of it. Yeah. So uh, you could view it through that lens if you so choose. Let's go with that. But yeah, so like they're obscenely wealthy. They're going to be making the largest like single family estate in the country. Yeah, they have a property in Las Vegas that they're looking to build a second tower uh, right next to it on the Strip. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, He's a very successful businessman. But yeah, then the financial crisis comes around. And there's sort of this like delicious irony also in watching someone who kind of preys on people uh, spending outside their means a little bit with, you know, time sharing can mm-hmm. be that way. I mean, it's definitely like uh, uh, putting the hard sell on people. Yeah. I mean, it didn't really matter if it was inside or outside their means, but it was definitely like get them to buy something today. Yeah. And he's sort of doing that too, like in his own life. It comes out later that the way he's able to build this second tower is he took out a mortgage on the huge house that he was buying. So like he was taking the cash from that to build this other thing and so he's living literally living outside his means and uh yeah mortgages which are generally considered safe securities suddenly weren't for a little while in 2008 and then he gets screwed yeah because i mean with timeshares the whole thing was like you buy a piece of property and like you get you know a mortgage on it and then like he would get cash from the bank because he had like the mortgage and i don't know the whole securities thing is complicated (laughs) uh but after the financial crisis banks wouldn't loan them money right like they were frozen essentially they didn't have the money to lend or they wouldn't lend to to risky investors and so he couldn't get cash for any of his timeshares and like that just 
sucked everything up. Yeah. So they start cutting back in the company, like lots of people lost their jobs. And you can, he, he talks about that a little bit where he's like, So those same people that used to motivate me are now out of work and struggling, and I feel bad. I feel bad for every one of them. I've affected a lot of lives by what's going on. I believe him. I mm-hmm. believe he does feel bad about that. Yeah. And they go to like a call center that used to be, you know, filled with people doing telemarketing stuff and it's just like empty. Yeah. And they also talk about how like even when they were trying to get like back up and running, the bank wouldn't allow them to make any sales from the headquarters because the bank wanted them to fail so that they could seize the property and do what they wanted with it. Right. So it was like even when they were trying to get back up on their feet like the financial institutions were stopping them from doing that right which is also like super skeezy and sad yeah it's like yeah they're billionaires and now they're probably just like lowly millionaires <laughs> but at least at this point in the documentary or any point you don't want to see them like totally fail right yeah. like like it's nice that they get their comeuppance a little bit or that they get a taste of like what it's like to be on the other side. Mm -hmm. But you're not rooting for them to like be unhappy for the rest of their life. Yeah. It's a weird emotional tone that this movie hits because you see them touring that huge mansion and your immediate thought is... Holy shit, you have too much money. Yeah. And then once you start to see like they had to lay off, you know, nannies and housekeepers in their homes so it starts to get really gross. Yeah. There's dog poop everywhere. shit everywhere. And like... There's dirty dishes constantly. Like, the place is a fucking mess. It also just highlights how, like, clueless they are to just, like, basic human responsibilities. Like, they have a bunch of dogs. Lots of people have dogs of, like, any area of the wealth spectrum. (laughs) And there's not dog shit everywhere. Right, yeah. Like, they walk them. They house train them. They do things to avoid shit. Because, like, they're packing up and, like, the sun's like, oh, I stopped in dog caca (laughs) and uh well we'll come back to that put a pin in that one listener uh yeah there's like uh she says even at one point uh jackie says i never would have had so many children if i couldn't have a nanny when i grew up i didn't know there was a such thing as a nanny so i figured I'd, i'd probably have one kid and then maybe two but then when i found out i could have nannies i just kept having the kids I mean, they're just bundles of joy. Yeah, when you're not the one caring for them. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, they're awesome. (laughs) And that's one of those things. It's like, oh, I'll just have the kid and someone else will be responsible for it. Right. And I'll just buy them Christmas presents that they can open up and thank me for. Right. And I thought it was funny, too. Like, you see the nanny driving to pick the kids up from school. And the mom's there. She's just, like, in the passenger seat. Mm -hmm. It's like, why didn't she just drive? (laughs) I don't know. And then that adds in another thing, because we talked to two of the nannies also in this one, like actually one of the children sleeps with her and she's just like, it's like my own kids. And she seems kind of like almost happy to be working for them. And then there's another one who's been working for them for 11 years. Her name's Virginia. I wrote her name down because she does not seem super happy about her life. (laughs) Was that the one that had the kid that was like fully grown now? Yeah. Yeah. That was a little sad. It's a tearjerker moment. The last time I see my kids, my youngest one, he's only seven years old, and now he's 26. The seagull kids, they always say, Nani, I love you. One thing that I never heard from my children, so I'm happy for that. I miss them. It's okay. I, I, I still have kids. The seagull kids. <laughs> And then she like looks off into the distance. And then we get one more section with her too, where she like, this is after the financial crisis happens. And she's like, the twins have a playhouse in the front yard kind of thing. And they're not using it anymore. So she's like, can I live in this little like tree house, doll house thing? I don't know. And they're like, sure, why not? And so she, she moves out there and she actually is happy about it. But then she goes on to say that like her plan was to just make a bunch of money in the United States, fly back to the Philippines so that she could build a concrete house for her dad. Yeah. And he had since died. My father, his dream to have a concrete house, it never happened. But then he had a concrete team and that's his own house. So maybe that's still good for him. Ah. Uh. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, she's working for this family that has, you know, a 90,000 square foot. I don't know. It just kind of puts things in perspective. It really gives you the broad range of this. Uh, yeah. Boy, this is like the word of the podcast. It's ironic that they named it Versailles, like where, you know, uh, Mary Antoinette uh-huh. was. Because they are, I mean, they're not like royalty over their subjects or something, but they are certainly wealthy the way that royalty would be. And they're clueless to how like the other side operates the way that royalty was or the way that, you know, specifically Mary Antoinette and as they're modeling this 90,000 square foot villa after Versailles. Yeah. And so the like the Mary Antoinette comparison is pretty apt. There's a part even where she's like, uh, they they have to fly a commercial jet oh, to, to go visit yeah. some friends, and she turns to one of the kids. She's like, "How does it feel to fly commercial?" <laughs> and uh, she's she's getting a car, a rental car, and like the last thing she says to the guys, he's like, you know, finalizing it. She goes, "What's the name of my driver?" Yeah, she's at like a Hertz. Yeah, like, and the guy like says, "Sorry, what's my driver's name?" Oh, it just doesn't come with a driver. There's no driver. No. Sorry. Well, she said at one point that, like, when one of the kids first flew commercial, they go, what are all these people doing on our plane? Yeah. It's just, like, that level of cluelessness. I mean, the the big driving home point for me of how clueless they were was when the lizard died. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of notes about the lizard scene. (laughs) Should we put a pin in that no or? we can dig into it yeah well it's like there's like a they have a lizard pet that's like a desert lizard it's like not like a gila monster or something <laughs> but you know it's an iguana of some sort like, yeah something that's supposed to last for weeks with no water and it dies of dehydration yeah <laughs> or starvation but it's like these are like creatures with slow metabolisms meant to like survive off little amounts of water and little amounts of food for long periods of time and the thing fucking dies of malnutrition one of the kids even goes i didn't even know we had a lizard but like that stupid bratty like 16 year old girl like the the niece Uh uh-huh is like i apologize that i'm a horrible person over and over again i'm like you are not sorry (laughs) like you don't care at all like you had a lizard and you went weeks without feeding it or giving it fresh water and it fucking died in that cage and that's interesting i guess i'm just thinking about this now because john quill comes from also comes from very dirt poor surroundings and she even says like literal dirt yeah she was living on a dirt floor and she says when i lived in new york and i would see rich people on tv i'd be like wow you know their lifestyle must be nice like if i love that lifestyle i would just wake up every day with a smile on my face but now that I do, it's like I wake up now and it's just I'm used to it. And then it's like you want more and more. And so I guess that's kind of what happened to her. Like she's just like, uh, well, nobody took me to the pet store, so it's not my fault it died. It's like, yeah, you need to go she's to the pet store to give that, it you know? water. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, she like got spoiled real quick. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that sort of makes sense. Like the moment that you're not living paycheck to paycheck, like you kind of forget what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And we see, I mean, you also see, uh, I think this is the first moment where we see um, Jackie get actually upset. <gasps> oh, you guys killed him. What? You killed him. Like, I think she's really pissed off that her, her you know, adopted daughter, or inherited daughter, can't even fucking take care of a lizard. Like, you can see the her. L- most low maintenance pet yeah. that you can give a child. She's like, look, you can kind of see it in her face. So she's like, what What have we become? Like, what if I'm doing a bad job suddenly? And mm-hmm. she's mad and probably like, she's sad about the lizard. There's just all these emotions going on in, in her that you can kind of see. There's just a lot in that little scene. Yeah. I mean, that the dead lizard is representative of like their mindset as a whole. Yeah. Like, that they just. They don't think about it. They don't care about it. They just have it because of a whim that they had, like a fleeting whim. Mm -hmm. And they don't even care enough about it to keep it in their thoughts. And then this this, like problem kind of gets played out a little later too on Christmas morning when they had some puppies that they couldn't find. And she's just like, where'd those puppies go? We have to find them because there's a python roaming around yeah. here somewhere and it could eat them. And it's like, oh my God. Why are you letting a snake run around your house? A, B. 
Yeah, also, there's no way that these puppies are housebroken either. Oh, so it's like no. you're going to get more shit and piss everywhere. Oh, God. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> that level of cluelessness where it's like they're super, super wealthy, but like they can't even manage day to day responsibilities that any other human being could do. <laughs> yeah. You've mentioned this before. I guess I have too, but like they're not unlikable. Like, no. Especially Jackie. She's a really kind of interesting person. During this whole like financial crisis issue, she's really trying to pull everything together and keep them as a family. And like they throw that that whole birthday party scene where she's like, we're going to sit at this table and we're going to have a special night for your dad. And you can tell that these kids are like, I can't believe you're making us do this. Like they're brats. Like I'm just going to say it. But you get the impression, or maybe she's just doing it for the cameras, I don't know, but you get the impression that Jackie really is trying to make this a family unit again. One thing that I liked, and maybe it was all show for the camera, but I never got the hint that she was only in it for the money. Like, that was a perk for her. Yeah. But even when they're, like, poor and they can't, like, do all the glamorous shopping, it didn't seem like her affection for her husband waned at all. No. Or that she tried any less hard to make him feel better or to make him feel loved. Yeah, she, she'd still go in for kisses, and he was like, nah. no. <laughs> it could have all been show for the camera. That is a possibility. But the way that it appears is that while the money was nice, like the affection that he at least used to give her was almost more important. Yeah, she says that. It took me a while to fall in love with him. It just really felt wonderful to be so adored that's what attracted me or you know gave off the impression that he did yeah because when they have that miss america party he certainly doesn't seem like he has any problems showing affection for other (laughs) other young pretty women well he says at one point like i just like to surround myself with beautiful women or something like that i mean other people even say it's like uh he kind of just married her for like a trophy wife yeah like i mean she's got the rack for it (laughs) yeah and then you can see her like she she says this a couple times in the movie too that uh he said that when she turns 40 he's gonna trade her in for two 20 year olds which is so that's shitty dude don't be shitty hey when i was uh dating two men and the second one turned 30 i said i was gonna trade him in for four 15 year olds (laughs) which honestly sounds like a waking nightmare to me but (laughs) it made for a good facebook post you just have a bunch of bratty <laughs> kids going around like hating you. That sounds great. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> I guess. Well, okay. So I should ask you: Did you enjoy this movie? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's one of those like slice of life things, like no frills sort of documentary. But they just got lucky and they they landed on just the perfect subject because it was like there's no way the documentary filmmakers could have predicted a financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So just the idea that they were making it about the person making the largest single family house in America and then his decline. Yeah. And you felt his unhappiness. Yeah. Like at the end, just they even say is like, are we almost finished? Or like, is, is the interview almost over? And she's like, oh yeah, we're near in the end. Like you, you can feel that he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to relive it. Uh, he's probably just getting a little bit of money. So yeah, he ended up suing the filmmaker for wrongful uh, representation or something like that. Oh, what was he wrongfully represented in? I don't know. Uh, to me, it just sort of seemed like another way to get a few more bucks. Mm. Because there's also the theme of gambling kind of flying through this movie a little bit. It's like a uh, you know, second tier theme. comes up a couple times, like with the lottery tickets. Mm. Um, and I think there's a, some other line. Oh. Well, his, his grandparents were big uh, yeah, Vegas Yeah, and gamblers. Las Vegas is the whole big thing. So... I just sort of chalked that up to him gambling on the fact that, like, maybe he could get some money out of these filmmakers. Mm. Um, I mean, that would sort of make sense. I could see him. Unfortunately, it backfired on him because, you know, he was ordered to pay the legal fees of the (laughs) film crew. So, too bad. And it's like getting double zeros on roulette. Yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, I I like the sense of irony. And, And this, I don't know if this is something that the filmmaker made happen or if this is just the the way it was, but like you don't get the sense that they're aware of the irony of their situation. No, they probably don't like, at least they never seem to hint at it. Yeah. 
because it is a rags to riches to rags story. Right. You kind of almost hope that they can make that house, but you kind of almost hope that they don't. Yeah. I almost want them to do it just so I can see what it looks like because those like images that they gave us of it. <laughs> it oh, looks yeah. They- so. <laughs> Oh, my God. I can't imagine living in a place like that. I mean, they wanted to be, like, you know, uh, uh, like, royalty. Like, they wanted, you know, a grand staircase with, like, orchestras at the top during parties and things like that. As they were, like, listing the things in it, I was just writing them down, like, holy shit. So, it had, like, a skating rink, Uh a stage, ten kitchens. Yeah. Ten kitchens. A health spa. A bowling alley. I mean, a, yeah, baseball field, which doubled as parking for when they wanted to do events there. Yeah, yeah. 30 bathrooms. <laughs> Jesus. I know. I mean, in servants' quarters, of course, you can't you, you can't take care of something like that on your own. And while they're walking through it, someone goes, Jackie, is this your room? No, that's not my room. That's my closet. Uh, no way. The house they had at the that they lived in the whole movie, her closet had like a balcony in it. Did you notice that? No, I didn't see that. It's like, Jesus. But at the same time, you never root for them to fail, I guess. I don't. I, and it's weird. I don't know how this film makes me feel that way. It, it it makes me question my knee-jerk reaction of like, ew, they're gross. Yeah, because she sends money to family members because they're, they're also like underwater mortgage-wise. Yeah. And it's like not enough. And it's, like, they don't even understand, like, how, like, the initial amount that they were behind by has, like, ballooned out of control. And it's, like, even the people who, like, are tangentially related to real estate don't quite understand how these mortgages got so out of control. Yeah. I tried doing research to really figure out the financial, like, what happened in this financial crisis. Collateralized debt obligations. Oh, my God. It just, like, all, my eyes just glazed over so fast. I kind of understand it, but it's so complicated. So a mortgage is a loan. Right. <laughs> this is Matt's learning hour. <laughs> uh, uh, and what they would do is they would, you know, the bank would pay for this house. Right. And a homeowner would put down 10 20% ideally and pay it back over 30 years at a low interest rate right and these were pretty secure investments for people to build securities on right right okay but i understand that much but what happened is banks would take these mortgages so this was money that homeowners owed them they were owed this huge sum of money they would sell it to larger financial institutions and say hey this money because we lent it to high risk lenders okay and when there's high risk lenders, that means that the interest rate, because the risk is greater, the interest rate will be greater. So that means that the profit rate will be greater. Right. Y'all follow me so far, class? <laughs> so what they would do is say, like, hey, I have this mortgage. Instead of being paid back, you know, 3.5% interest, it's going to be 6.5% interest because we gave them an adjustable rate mortgage. And so we can fuck with their interest rate and make them pay higher than what they initially thought when they signed the deal. So then that goes off to larger financial institutions who think like, oh, look at this. We have these great mortgages with these high interest rates and they're guaranteed payments over long periods of time. So that's just like money for the next 30 years. Right. And then like that gets like bunched together with like other mortgages from other financial institutions mm-hmm. so you have these great big things of a bunch of mortgages and it's hard to trace back where they come from or who's really at high risk so then when you have whole swarms of people who can't pay these mortgages all at once that means that the banks suffer because they're not getting the payments from those home homeowners. Uh-huh. And then the larger financial institutions don't get their money because the banks don't have money to pay them. Okay. So then when you have all this debt and like no cash to pay off that, then you have to start selling assets, which means real estate, which means right. foreclosing houses to sell them to other people. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the, the finer points of it, but that's the general thing of it is that sure. there was a lot of debt that a lot of people had they could not pay and it like it's like the great depression except like instead of stocks it was mortgages okay i mean that's funny because at one point uh daniel or david who whatever his name is we never settled mr siegel mr siegel says we need to live within our means don't spend money that we don't have 
Don't spend money that uh, we think we're gonna eventually have. Spend what we do have, you know, get back to reality. And he's just talking about like their family, but it's like you could also be talking about the capitalist system. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you might remember the phrase predatory lending, uh-huh. where bankers were purposely looking for people who had no business having a mortgage. But then they would just be like, oh, and their interest rate's going to be 7% after we adjust it. So that'll look even better when we're trying to sell this mortgage to a larger financial institution. Ugh, gross. Yeah. And, you know, that's sort of uh, how timeshare works a little bit. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It was like, I don't personally have a timeshare. kind of want one <laughs> after watching the movie. <laughs> I mean, they're not bad, but you, you just have to really be aware of what you can afford. And they, their job is to sell them on something more than they can afford. Yeah. You know? So and so, like, when they can't pay, like, then their income dries up. Right. They even said that they were living on those, like, month-to-month payments. And so, like, if those people are laid off, then they don't even have what they're living off of anymore. Yeah. It's all connected, man. Yeah. And then the banks were dicks to them back. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jackie even says at one point, it's like, I really don't understand the financial community especially when they get all that um, money from the government. I thought that that rescue money two years ago in September was supposed to go pay, be passed on to the, co- the common people or, you know, us. I guess uh, I wanted to, to bring it back to, uh, to doggy caca. Um, <laughs> I think one of the, like, I think I mentioned this earlier, but one of the strengths of this movie is just watching Jackie be Jackie. <laughs> sure. You know, sure. Yeah. she's so, fun like i i wouldn't mind hanging out with her she seems kind of ditzy but uh never stopped me from hanging out with someone before (laughs) she she really uh i don't know like even in the moments where it seems like this you know girl from whatever but fuck new york uh has lost touch with those roots of her of herself that's when she says like (laughs) it's not doggy caca Is it? Yeah. She's still a real person in there. Yeah. And like even the driver that drives around is like, you know, they go to baseball games and she, he met her when she was volunteering at the snack bar there. Yeah. And he's like, people are afraid to talk to them because they're powerful and rich. He's like, but they're just like regular people. And I, I kind of get that impression. Yeah, I kind of get that too. Yeah. At the Miss America like party that they had at their place. Uh-huh. And they were talking to like the former Miss America. Like, you could tell that she had, like, lines scripted and ready to be Oh, my God, yeah. It was like she was reading off a fucking card. I'm very proud of my background growing up on a dairy farm in a small town in Indiana, and now I'm I'm Miss America. It just goes to show you that anything is possible, but not without hard work and dedication and passion for what you do. You've clearly said this 10,000 times. (laughs) Yeah, and then then we get kind of a gross moment, though, with... uh... With what's his name though, and he's just like, yeah, he's like, yeah, ah, she's a pretty one. Somebody says like, are you gonna have kids? And like he chimes in, he's like, I'd make sure she had plenty, but she hasn't accepted my marriage proposal yet. And Jackie's in the room. Yeah, like it was just super gross. So gross. He kind of turns into a big baby by the end. Like I really end up not liking him by the end. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. Like, when he's, like, telling the kid, like, oh, if you love me, turn off the lights. I'm like, yeah. what a fucking dick. Or, like, at the Christmas party when she's, like, you know, it's the end of the night. She's clearly having a good time. It's Christmas Eve. I, I We get the impression. And it's, like, she comes in for a kiss, and he's, like, oh, no, get out of my face. He also says that, like, at one point, he's, like, okay, it's late. Get everyone out. Like, just at the drop of a hat, he's, like, get everyone out of here. Yeah. And, yeah, no. Well, he also said, like. At some point, like, nothing brought him joy anymore. Right. Uh, which is also kind of sad, because that just m- meant that making money is what made him happy. Yeah. This is my problem with, like, the obscenely wealthy is, like, I don't have a problem with people making money, but it's, like, when, like, that's just the goal, when, like, to make the money and to just sit on it is your end goal. Like, money's no good unless you spend it. Yeah. And he even says, like, he didn't put anything away. For, like, savings or rainy day, like, it just never occurred to him to do that. Yeah. And, I don't know, like, that's the sort of obscene wealth, like, I have sort of a moral opposition to when it's just, like, money for money's sake rather than, like, doing something that also gives you money. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, that, 
bothered me that it was more the money than the job that he loved. Yeah. He said that like he didn't like material things and yeah. stuff like that. Like he wanted the money probably just for a beautiful wife and for appeal. Yeah. Money and that's for it. money's sake. Yeah. And yeah, money for money's sake is like that's that's sort of where I kind of get upset with it, where it's like if you make a lot of money and then you do a lot of things with that money, that's different. Yeah. But he was just had a bunch of money and just like sat on it or let his wife spend it, I guess. Yeah. And uh, there's a scene where it's like Christmas is coming up and they go shopping and she has to shop at Walmart, which is kind of funny. But it's like the way she buys things there for oh. Christmas pisses me off yeah she's just sort of grabbing shit and then she grabs three games of operation (laughs) it's like do you really need can't they share can't your kids share a she bought a bike for one of the kids and then we see uh the nanny bringing it into the garage that is full of bikes it's like they can't why do they need their own you know she's just like a it's kind of sweet because she's just trying to give them a christmas i get that but it's also like fucking don't spend that money. You know, you don't need that stuff. Gift giving is like one of the purest forms of expression for someone. Like really nailing a gift yeah. to give to someone is is great. It can really like show how you feel about them. And the way that she does it is so half-assed. Walking around, filling up her shopping cart with just generic toys. Like three games of operation. Mm-hmm. Like... She's like, I'll just give them to all of them. Yeah. Like, she doesn't care. She doesn't actually know if they'll want it or not. She's just doing it because she likes to shop and that they need stuff to open on Christmas. Yeah. It's a little frustrating because they're supposed to be, quote unquote, poor. Uh-huh. At this point, she still spent like $15,000 on oh Walmart. It filled up, yeah, it filled up several SUVs. <laughs> yeah. And like you could tell that one of the nannies was like, this is too much. We need to put this back. We don't need this. Yeah. Like they already have this. And like even after that fighting, yeah, it was several SUVs full of toys. And that's why I kind of think it's, I don't know, it's hard to falter because when she is having that fight with the nanny, on her face, you can see that like, her worry is more that like these kids need to have something to open in her mind. That means like they need to have a hundred presents each or something like that. But like, that's just their version of it. Kind of, they just have more of everything. Like they're still just regular people. They just have lots and lots, you know? Yeah. I mean, she says, or maybe it's, he says at one point, my wife collects everything. She can't have one bird. She's got to have a dozen. Can't have one dog. She's got to have a dozen. Can't have, one child she's got to have seven so what can i tell you i don't know i don't i don't i don't understand that mentality i don't either the whole thing eventually comes to an end when she's like if if we had to buy just a a normal house like three hundred thousand dollar house four bedroom house or or, um i would um i would be fine with that make it work just get a bunch of bunk beds you know i worry more about her children's ability to cope with that than her you know yeah i kind of felt like she was raising a bunch of uh little vitas from mildred pierce (laughs) just like a bunch of like entitled spoiled brats (sighs) one of them was like i don't need to go to school i've got five tardies left it doesn't matter and there's a point when she's like once they start to realize that they might they were telling their kids you wouldn't have to go to college i told them that they might have to go to college now they might have to actually make their own money. And that's kind of like, I mean, they're realizing that now. That there might not be money there for them. So I said, start thinking about what you want to be when you grow up. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you were just going to take care of them for the rest of their lives forever? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like some blue blood shit right there. That I is can't... some idle money. What are you telling I- those rich. children? You know, like, you can, you don't... Like, are you telling them you don't have to ever worry about money? Because that is that is going to bring up some bratty brats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even like Bill Gates says that like when they pass away, like their kids are going to get like a chunk of cash, but it's not going to be enough to live off of. Yeah. Even they feel that it's important that their kids do something with their lives. And yeah. this was not something that the Seagulls were no, concerned about. No. God, it's... even the royal family like enlists in the military. <laughs> No, it's fucked up, kind of. The first thing she says is like, My husband 
when I got married to him, all I wanted was love from him. And he always said, trust me. And I put my trust into him. Just the line, like, trust me, I don't trust people anymore, you know? Like, and then there's ties to Donald Trump in this movie. Donald Trump, he said, oh, congratulations on your new tower. He's got one problem with it. He says, when I stay in my penthouse suite, I look out the window, I always see his Westgate. He said, can you turn your sign down a little bit? And at one point, he's looking to get money from Donald Trump, and it's like, he might be Good barking luck. up the wrong yeah. tree. <laughs> it's always, like, quick aside, it's always weird to see Trump referenced, like, in something, like, so early. Yeah. Like, something so far removed from candidate or, or, or number 45. Right. Because, like, even the way he's portrayed here is kind of a shitbag. Yeah. <laughs> like, kind of just a weasel. And I, it's one of those things, like, I see it now. I'm like, we thought this 10 years ago. Yeah. That he was just a uh, skeezy Some New York blowhard. real estate blowhard. Yeah. And, like, this is the way that he was portrayed. How did we, like, how did a huge portion of the electorate just block this out? I Although just... I guess this play didn't play in Poughkeepsie. But... Yeah, I was going to say, there's probably a big group of voters of his who did not see this movie. <laughs> This being the singular popular culture reference of Donald Trump prior <laughs> to 2015. Um, yeah, I've, I just thought it was, I thought the political parts of it were, were strange. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't remember them. And how open he was about talking about it, too. He's just, I mean, not, not, not the Donald Trump stuff, but like the election things. He was just like, yeah, I fucking helped to maybe make him get elected. And I'm proud of that. Yeah. And you're kind of like, wow, money does like rule politics. Yeah. I mean, they don't say specifically what he did or he, he wouldn't say specifically what he did, but yeah, let's wildly speculate. <laughs> Do you think he paid the Supreme court? Of uh, the United States? Sure. Mm, no, my guess is that he paid to have the uh, voting pamphlets needlessly confusing mm. so that they all voted for Buchanan. I see. Uh, instead of Gore. Okay. And that little 1% sliver made the difference. Maybe he paid for um, shitty perforation machines so that the chads would the hang. hang chads. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, when was the last time you heard that phrase? <laughs> he was like, I want these chads to be extra durable. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let them poke out. <laughs> Uh, sabotaged a chad cutting machine <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he just uh went in and tore up a bunch of ballots for gore who knows <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he anyway. was a registered voting commissioner yeah <laughs> just took a bag or two of gore <laughs> voters and... it was like election he coughed as he's like crumpling <laughs> yeah. him up and putting him in the trash yeah <laughs> what was what 537 votes that made the difference so you just Oh man, that that guy's coughed five hundred and thirty eight times. <laughs> Are you okay, sir? Don't come in here. <laughs> well, anyway. I appreciate you wanting to watch this. Yeah, it was and, good. Um, I was like watching a movie I haven't seen, especially if it's not in Xanadu. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was good. It was worth watching. Cool, cool, cool. Well, what have we, what have we got on tap for next week? So next week, we did one action movie where like all the explosions and gunshots and all that good stuff was real. Mm-hmm. And then we had one that was super CGI and okay. colorful and cool. Cool, cool. So this one's closer to hard-boiled in nature, where it's done for real. But this is like the fighting and the hitting are real. Not necessarily gunshots, explosions type stuff, but like bam, bam, foot to the face sort of stuff. I'm doing Jackie Chan's police story. Oh. Where he is famous for doing all his own stunts. And I think this is the movie with the most bananas stunts. Are there bananas in it? (laughs) I... I don't think there are any actual bananas, okay. but uh, in the like first action sequence on a highway, like your mind's gonna be blown Great. by the stunts because it's like they could die. <laughs> like <laughs> it looks like they're like this close to dying. 
edge of my seat. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Okay. All so, right. uh, yeah, next week, police story. Looking forward to it. Should we plug our junk? Get the fuck out of here. Oh, you know it. Leave us love. Uh, any place that you get your podcasts. That could include, you know, uh, giving us some stars on Apple Podcasts or a review there. We love hearing your reviews about us. Stitcher, Google Play, all that good stuff. Any, any and all. I meant to mention this, uh, but I'm just going to throw it in here now. Uh, if you feel like yelling at us for not mentioning there was a uh, picture of Donatella Versace in this movie, uh, you can do that at on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. Hey, what? <laughs> Yeah, there was a t- she had a picture of herself with Donatella Versace. Oh, I thought it was Janice from Jan- The Muppets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, that was that was Donatella. So I could see how you were confused. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, we, we love chatting with you all on there. And if you want to contact us directly, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And I guess maybe next week we'll be broadcasting from uh, your your mansion, right? Your 90,000 square foot mansion. Or is it not complete? <laughs> That's such a, such a commute. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe somewhere in the future. Okay. Until then, thanks for listening. And we'll be back here next week with Police Story. Bye. Bye.